nobody as a pair or as an individual had ever covered the Cape Wrath Trail in under four days. We were still discussing how we were going to do this when we were in the, the lighthouse the night before. It would be significantly more challenging to go and do that on your own. Um, I always say nobody wants to hear the perfect story. When you think of those things that give you that anxious feeling in your stomach and make your brain go no chance, those are the things you should do. Welcome to the Piling Ultrapod. Yep, it's me doing the intro this week because we have a very, very, very special episode. We're taking a slight break from Series 3 where we've been talking about bias and mindset and a whole range of things, which some of the feedback we've been getting from you, the listeners on, has been absolutely exceptional and really, really helpful for us in terms of shaping the future of the podcast. But tonight, we have three very special guests to talk about a very special event. We've got Paul Giblin himself, you may know him from this podcast. Hi, Paul. Hello. Hello, James. We have Graeme Connolly. You may know him from other podcasts, but you'll also know him as part of the Team Piling. Hi, Graeme. Hi, Jim. Hello. All right. And we have Gavin Bussey, who um, is here tonight because he was part of the team that had a successful and quite frankly, I can't think of a better word to describe it than otherwise traumatic four days on the Cape Wrath Trail. At least that's what I'm going to see was really as we go through this interview. And Paul, Graham, and Gavin are here tonight to talk to us about their experience, both in terms of running and crewing across the Cape Wrath Trail um, just a couple of weeks ago. So without further ado, guys, we're going to get into the conversation. And I can't think of a better place to start. And I'll start with you, Paul, with this question. And I'm asking this because I've been there. Why the hell the Cape Wrath Trail? Yeah, James, it's a pretty, pretty obvious question, I guess, and I don't really have a clear answer for it even now. Um, I guess uh, Graham and I had a conversation. Um, Graham and I had run some sections together on the Cape Wrath Trail back in, when was it, 2019, I think, uh, as part of our pilot endeavour on the Scottish National Trail. So I guess we shared a few moments there. It was quite an exciting time for us when we did Endeavour and... Um, I guess we probably had both had a wee thing in the back of our minds that it'd be nice to go back there at some point. Um, and it's like any tough race that you might do or any tough thing that you go through, it feels like the worst thing in the world for a period during it and then maybe even for a short period after it. And then you forget about the horrors that are out there, really. And that's definitely what happened. I forgot. Like I, I kind of I knew there's not that much trail. I'd done a few sections near the top end where there isn't any trail at all. But I kind of had it in my head that oh later on there'll be plenty of trail and it'll get a bit more runnable and it'll be a bit more fun. But um, I was still looking for that elusive nice section where <laughs> where you could run properly. Um, so we'd been stuck in lockdown, James. I, as you know, I've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, I've been stuck in Scotland and my life's a wee bit upside down just now um, and I don't really have big plans for races and stuff. I, same as uh, lots of people. Like I've said before, my life's a wee bit more complicated than that. Um, so I was kind of fed up and we were coming out of lockdown and Graham kind of posed the idea really and uh, yeah, I took a day to think about it and then went, right, okay, let's let's get it organised. And Brilliant. And that begs the next question and maybe Graham, you can, you can help with this. This is, when did you decide to do it? Um, it was a bit of a slow burn from the last time we were on the Cape Raft Trail. Um, I, I had it in my head I would go back and just 
have a look at it again and maybe do it. But it, it became one of those things, and I was really conscious of this, and it's something I'm conscious about my personality. It became one of those great things that I was going to do next week or next month, and um, and that was part of that was probably part of my why. And um, and as we kind of went through lockdown and and we had all these opportunities taken away from us. I become more aware of that and then we got to the end of the 18th lockdown I think it was and I just this this desire had just built to to, to kind of pull the trigger on these things and it was as we got to the end uh, of the lockdown I just I was it was actually watching Barclay again which was when uh, or watching Barclay on Twitter was when I kind of realised I was I was just at all these great ideas I was going to do tomorrow and then we got to the end of it and I thought I just need to pull the trigger on this now um, and it really was, it really, really was a kind of spur of the moment thing. Although it was a slow burn, it was a spur of the moment to actually do it. And I remember just phoning Paul and it was like, let's just do it. I just phoned him out of the blue and let's just do it. And a couple of weeks later, we were we were on Cape Wrath. Yeah. So, so the chronology, let's just get this right in my head, right? So lockdown ends, you're allowed to basically freely move around Scotland, unless you're in, I think it was Maury. Um, you're allowed to freely move around Scotland from the Monday. What what date was that again? You just remind me. I think the it was the twenty sixth or seventh. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and the date. What? When did you phone Paul and go? Listen, Paul, I planted the seed about a year and a half ago. The itch is needing scratched. Would do you fancy spending four days in the wilds with me? When did you do that? I think it was maybe a fortnight before. Wow. Yeah. And then it, it literally was. It literally. I mean, for the for. For how big a, a a job it was we were undertaking, it was it was kind of last minute. It was about two weeks before, I think. So the decision to do it was last minute, but the desire had been building over a period of time. Certainly with you, Graham. Yeah. Yeah, it was just another one of these things on the list that I was going to do next month or next year. I was going to do it after this race or that event, and this book I was going to write or this blog I was going to write, and and I, I just yeah. Um, the opportunity came, and I just thought I need to start pulling the trigger on things. So you're a fortnight out. You've decided to pull the trigger on it. Paul being Paul's like, well, I'm stuck over here. I can't get to Sham. I'm in. Let's drive up to that lighthouse, get some mince and tatties or whatever after that woman again, and then run. But you've not got a crew at this point, right? You've not got a crew at this point. So you basically call in the dynamic duo, the three-letter double act, Gavin Bob, right? And it's not, they're not to be confused with Jane Bob from the film. These are two very respected and accomplished ultra runners, multiple finishes on some of the biggest races. I think, what, what was the one you done, Gav? Was it Todd Dijon? Did you do that? What it was, was it? PTL, James. PTL, that was it. Yeah, yeah. So you've got experience, but you've only got two weeks. So, Gav, what what, what happened? What, talk me through the phone call when it's like, do you mind spending five, six days? Because obviously you've got the logistics up and down, basically caring for Paul and Graham. What was your, what was that like? So... And the phone call was pretty short and, and brief, really, uh, to be honest with you, James. Um, I think I probably got the same as Paul did. Um, I'm going to do this. Do you want to be part of it? And it was, of course it was a yes, pretty simple answer. Uh, but Graham had been kind of rumbling about it for a few weeks. Right, okay. So like we'd been in a couple of rounds and he'd said, oh, I'm thinking about this and just kind of kicking the idea about. So it wasn't too much of a surprise when he phoned and said, it's going to happen. It sounds to me like Graham, um, for any future job interviews you've got, you've got a perfect how did you influence somebody to do something stupid example. <laughs> yeah. Your influencing skills are obviously top notch. So 
obviously beforehand you released a blog um, and it was it was done a, 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 you know in a, a wee bit of a rush if you start to think about it because then you've got your logistics you're packing you're thinking and all that stuff it was it was done on the way up I kid you not that is that is the almost perfect example of homework in the bus right um, <laughs> was, so, uh... and, and listen two guys I would never associate that way is Paul and Graham so there's a wee bit of impulse there that you know I wouldn't associate you with that extreme impulse but anyway so <clears throat> target was four days target was four days and there was you know there's contestants about FKTs and the, the rules and the stuff around them but nobody as a pair or as an individual had ever covered the Cape Wrath Trail in under four days yeah and that yep. was your target and we don't want to spoil it for the readers um, or the listeners um, but it's out there and the results there so we would just say you did it in 23 hours oh, sorry sorry yep. three days 23 hours and 50 minutes right so that's About like a 45 I think it was 45 it's yes. said, it said 50 on my, the thing I read, so... Um, I know, it's, it's still to be uploaded to the SKT site, but that's but the official. Uh -huh. uh -huh. Still to be uploaded. You should have done that in the bus on the way home. Um, <laughs> that, that five minutes mattered. That five <laughs> minutes mattered. So, I, I guess I'm interested in, you know, because you've got a bit of experience to Cape Wrath Trail. You've seen other people doing it. Obviously, Beth and Damo had done it previously, and they, they, they did a movie on it, so you could do a bit of research into it. I think Mike Jones was going for it um, the other way um, when mm -hmm. you were up there as well. So, obviously, FKTs just started exploding as soon as lockdown closed down again. But was four days a thing that had been in your mind for a while, or was it literally like, what will we target then? What will we give us to anchor ourselves to? The... Um... This again was kind of a, a, a nature challenge for me as well. Um, it, it was very, it seemed very straightforward um, to just mirror exactly what um, Damien and Beth did. And, and that was my initial instinct and, and that's what I was kind of working on. And um, I, I kind of spoke to Paul about it and, and he, he kind of did what he does. He just asked like one question and then gets you thinking for a few days and he says, well, why? Um, and then it kind of just evolved between us for there. And, and actually, we were still discussing how we were going to do this when we were in the, the lighthouse the night before. Um, but it, it kind of just naturally evolved and we kind of settled on the, the four days because I think leading up to it, we realised that um, with the different amount of daylight we were going to have and going in a different direction, if we did mirror Beth and Damien, it, was going to be, it wasn't going to be comparable anyway. But the same thing as well was... Um, we kind of did this to be with people and hang about with our friends. So if we did what they had done, we were going to just do this section, go and get a bag that Gav and, and Bob had dropped off and, and then just go and do another section. And actually it, it became more about being with kind of each other and Gav and Bob and, and being in the van and spending time together than actually doing the Cape Wrath Trail. But I think we needed the four days. Um, you just you just need a driver to get your head off yeah. that pillow when you've been asleep for 20 minutes. You know, if we never had that, we could have been out there for another 24 hours or we could have got halfway through and just thought, what's the point? You know, so you just needed that driver. But it was it was it was bigger than the four days. It was more important than the four days. Yeah, no, that I mean, that's really good. I just like to round things up or down, James, you know what I'm like with the old Endeavour targets and stuff as well. I'm like, so it was four days and nine hours. Why don't we just see if we can do it under four days? And I quite like that fact you're not necessarily chasing somebody else's FKT, but you're trying to just set it your own stall out and say, well, this is what we're trying to do because let's face it, they did it in winter. We were doing it in spring, summer. So let's be ambitious with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important, right? Because ultimately what, what I'm hearing from both of you there is, is, there was an element of self in all of that. It wasn't about others in terms of, 
there wasn't like the big ego thing going on. It's like the look at me thing. It was more that actually this is about connection. It's about a journey. And I guess that's a, a question. I'm going to come to Gavin a minute about the Karoon bit of this. But before I get to that, running as a pair, it's not something you do very often. We did it as part of Endeavour when we did the Cape Wrath section for safety. And I think that was really important. Um, to to have someone out there because we were doing that in the middle of uh, middle of winter and and moving um, constantly, but how was running as a pair? And I start with you, Paul, on this because you know I, I personally find ultra running one of the great things about it is getting to spend some time in my own head. But you've got somebody there beside you the whole time, and your highs and lows are not going to match, right? How 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 was that? Uh, it wasn't it wasn't without issue at times. I I, I don't think I think Graham would would admit that too. Um, but certainly something as long and as challenging as that where you have to be navigating the whole time um, I, I it would be significantly more challenging to go and do that on your own and because be at times even when we were running together um, there was times maybe Graham's head was slightly gone there was definitely times that my head was gone and Graham was doing more of the navigating or I was doing it you were making quite obvious mistakes sometimes Graham was making some obvious mistakes thinking we need to go that way and I'm like, Graham, it's obviously this way. And the same with myself. So it, it does help a lot to have somebody on on a distance, on that kind of distance and that kind of terrain. I think it made a big difference um, and did maybe put some more pressure on each other sometimes because there were times that I was feeling good and I was maybe trying to push the pace a wee bit. There's other times Graham was fine to run on and I was maybe struggling a bit. So it certainly helps to keep you on course in terms of trying to hit a particular time or, or, or with a bigger target like that. Um, I'm it, and going back to some of Graham's point, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been the same experience for me. I think I think I could have gone and done it, and I could have run it on my own probably. And I don't know what time we would have finished. It's pretty irrelevant to me ultimately, but it wouldn't have been the same experience without having somebody there and and sharing some of those moments that we can probably both look back at now and chuckle at about how ridiculous it was. You know, like I don't know. At one moment in Noidart, we appeared from this mountain down down to some lock side and there was a little bothy and there was two guys sitting there with a fire whatever and honestly like we were like two zombies from from your worst ever zombie movie right where we've been out for three days maybe three and a half days at this point absolutely stinking looking like death miserable we turn up and these guys are like oh where have you guys come from we're like keep run we're just like absolute zombies and then we just said, see you later, and just run off. They must have been like, what are these guys all about? So um, like moments, moments, like, moments like that, you can't, it, it wouldn't be the same if I was just talking about it, I don't think, because we can both chuckle about it and, and see that at the time. Yeah, yeah, and I, th I suppose that, that's good, isn't it? Because you, you cement a friendship and you cement a relationship. And the fact that both of these are on this um, podcast at the same time suggests that it survived as well. What about you, Graeme? Um, because this is your longest ever undertaking and did you feel, I don't know, safer, more assured, having someone as experienced and as, as accomplished as Paul on your wing? I think that was a blessing and a curse at the same time for me, probably mentally. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of, okay, I, I, I've alluded to the, the, the little brother syndrome before, earlier in the podcast, I've spoken about it before in different places. So I kind of had a little bit of that going on, so I kind of had a bit of a comfort blanket with me. But at the same time as well, like, I was out with my, my, my friend, but my coach, who's a professional athlete, so I kind of went into this like, 
okay, this isn't going to be me and Paul's time. This is probably Paul going to have my time. So I kind of, I had it in the back of my head that I had to kind of push on and, and try and not hold Paul up, which was a wee bit of a burden to start with. But I, I kind of managed to, I think Paul probably picked up on that and kind of subtly, the way he does, kind of talked me out of it and, and, and helped me to put it to bed. But at the same time, yeah, it was easier for me. I had a bit of a blanket there, you know, no matter how bad it got. And there was one point, I think, when we were running towards kind of like leaving, that um, I I was I was so bad. Kinlock I sat you. at the side of the road. Can lock you? Sorry, can lock you? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong trail. <laughs> I'm still not recovered for the lack of sleep. That's how um, good our, yeah, our navigation was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was one point we were running down, and 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 I was really bad, like probably bonking the worst I have, but. But you get so bad that you don't realise you are. It's very different to like a bonk in like a six or seven hour race. But you just you just end up like in this fugue state. And um, and I sat at the side of the road and um and I literally sat down. Thought well, okay, I think I sat down for about ten seconds and I just fell asleep like that as I was talking to Paul and he, he kindly got it out and filmed it. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's the first thing he did. I didn't put any food in my mouth, he started filming it. But um, but if, if if he wasn't there, like I wouldn't have had that safety blanket there, you know, and and, and it was good. Yeah, I, I kind of like the idea of having that there. Brilliant. And then Gav, you're at you're at the um, you're in the pit stops. You're moving between places on roads where thirty mile an hour's flying, and you you've got the logistics of being places at times. What was the stress levels like for you as a crew? Um, it varies. <laughs> Do you know, uh, depending on. I suppose the logistics of where you are and where you've got to get to, what you need to do, and how many bags do you need to move, how many cups of tea do you need to make, how many dry food portions do you need to make up, all these kind of things. How long does Bob want to spend in the toilet? All these <laughs> like crop up along the way, do you know. And I'll tell you, it's a while. Um, for the last one that is. <laughs> and, and was there any hairy moments in terms of nearly missing the guys or not having the right stuff? Was there, was there tension? Because they, they two are sleep deprived, they're physically fatigued, um, everything's <clears throat> weighing on them. And they're probably looking forward to seeing you, right? Because you're mm. you're one of the coolest guys. That You're like a human fridge, right? So your coolness just exudes. Um, and actually, it'd be really nice to see both you and Bob, right? Just just for a friendly face, and as Graeme says, it's the journey as a as a collective. But was there any um, any tension or any moments you're thinking, you know, I regret this. I regret picking up that phone. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do you know what I mean? I think you get involved in things like this. You know, there's going to be those moments, right? Yeah. Um, I always say, nobody wants to hear the perfect story. You know, you don't want to hear like, oh yeah, we did Cape Wrath Trail in four days and everything went fine and it was peachy. You want to hear the stuff where it's like, oh yeah, this thing happened or that thing happened, and that's and what, what they do. And and what and from the sidelines, um, so not being out on the trails with the guys the whole time, what what things did you observe about them that you maybe was maybe new information for the two of um, for you on them? Um, <clears throat> I suppose the the most the thing that became the most apparent to me as as time progressed on was how, I guess, each of them changed as a unit and individually. Um, and I guess maybe what they would, what the, the different resources they were both drawn on to, to, to be able to progress, you know, and how, um, how they can kind of restock their energies and, and keep going, you know, and we were part of that, like Bob was a big part of that, I was a big part of that. Um, 
but a lot of it is down to those guys, you know, and how they interpret their interactions with us and each other. And what did you take from it um, in terms of being a crew, right? So actually, I mean, my, my dad crews for me, you know, if I, if I said to my dad, I'm going to run to the toilet, he'd probably be standing there with a drop bag, right? You know, you crew for me all the time. Um, and I, I totally see what he gets from it. And actually it motivates me to, you know, continue to try and perform so he can be part of that. What did you get from it? Well, you get a lot from it, you know. I don't know if there's like <clears throat> this uh, misconception that it's all about the guys that run it, and your kind of crew guys are just there to support that, and and to kind of take a reductionist view on that. That's absolutely the case. But I really believe that in things like this, it does become a team event, you know, yep. and everybody pulls together. And you know, Bob and I might not be out there with the trainers on, turning our legs over, but we are as instrumental to the success of the endeavour as as Paul and Graham are, and I don't want to sound like big-headed when I say that, but I really believe it. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure the guys would agree. And then last one for you before I, I go back to ask um, Paul a question is, what have you learned that you didn't know before? So having watched them witness that um, at close quarters, is there a new tool in your toolbox that you'll draw on in your next event? Um, it was funny actually you say that, James, because. As I watched Graham uh, go through the go through the four days, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying, or I hope he doesn't mind me saying, is like he just fell apart. You know, his body fell apart, um, and 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 just the breakdown that an event of that kind of nature gives you, right? And it just made me really reflect on when I'd done that for the first time, which was a couple of years back. And I could really relate to that, like that constant breakdown uh, of like my physical body, the lack of sleep, and all these things, and it just the foggy mental state you end up in, um, and the sheer—I was amazed by the sheer force of will that Graham could muster when everything else about him was falling apart. He—he he was just able to pull things out from himself, you know, to push on. Um, and it made me really reflect on what I'd done and kind of just uh, maybe acknowledge that I'd done the same thing to myself. So that was probably the lesson that I would take out of it. Good, good. Um, Paul, an event like this, and actually Gavin's just touched on it there, it can tear you apart inside out, physically, mentally. Um, your body's fatigued, you're not eating enough. You know, everything's everything's just destructive. No one would prescribe you should do this. Um but hey, we love it, and it's a sport we all love. Um, and I guess what goes on tour stays on tour. But there must have been some gnarly stuff went on out there, stuff that would would put you off your dinner uh, um, to tell it. What was what was your low points out there? Was it whether it be physical challenge or mental challenge? What was the thing that you were like? Was there a point where you're like, I just can't keep going? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, there's a real danger that I get into a territory that all ultra runners <laughs> seem to be happy talking about, which I'm not so happy talking about on a podcast. But there, there is something related to a smell, right? That's as far as I'm going. At, at points, I, I almost quit because of the smell coming from from somewhere in front of me, whatever. Um, that, that was very unpleasant. I'll second that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but James... Uh, yeah. it, Funny you say that. Like it, it, it's such a long event, right? It's like four days. I, I've I've never run for four days straight before. I've run some long races. I've run two hundred miles before. It's been slightly different, but because I'm not running at my normal kind of race pace, actually, and well, 
I'm not saying I found it. I didn't find it easy, right? It was like a, a hugely tough event, but I didn't. I didn't really feel like my body was destroyed at any point. Although I think in the first day or towards the end of the first day, there was definitely a realization for me that this is big. This is you've got a lot to do here. You still got another three full days of this, and I was thinking. That was the only point I probably thought this is gonna. I'm gonna have to dig really, really deep here, uh, to get through this. But but after that, I don't think I really doubted we were going to do it. I I was I was less concerned about the time than Graham was. I thought whatever's going to happen will happen, and if if we're going okay, then we'll hit the time. If we're not going okay, then there'll be a reason why we can't hit that time, and that'll be something that we'll learn from. So um, yeah, I I didn't have any hugely gnarly moments other than the socks coming off Graham at the end of the. <laughs> at the oh. end of the run was, was pretty um, unpleasant as well yeah uh, some of us have seen those pictures and they are not nice but yeah. I suppose you're out for four days right and there's a lot happening but when you're running the Cape Wrath Trail although it's beautiful it, all, the, it probably all looks the same after not, a while it's not beautiful it's not nah. <laughs> I'll tell you right now it's, that's an absolute myth it's not beautiful <laughs> okay. see, see okay, once you've that... seen some brown heathery mountainside You've, you've seen the rest well, of the exactly, truth. exactly. But what was your, what was your? Um, so we, we kind of talk about low points and that that feeling towards mm-hmm. the end of the day. What was there a point where you kind of transcended and you found yourself and you were like, "This is, this is it. I, I, this is a high point or a point where you could just reflect on and go, yeah. Or yeah. was it just a grind? A lot, a lot of it was a grind, but but we had we had some fun moments, um, and we had we had a bit of banter at times. It was maybe in the first day we were quite jovial at times. Then for two days we barely said two words to each other, and then the last day we were a bit, a bit more jolly again. I think, um, yeah, I, I guess there were some gnarly moments. Um, I forgot about the whole tick situation at one point. The first night, I think it was, uh, we had to, you come off a trail and you're on this kind of gnarly bit of grass. I fell over flat on my face on a big bit of grass. It was soft. It was fine. But I, I just I just wanted to take 10, 10 seconds rest there. So I, I, I just lay there for a bit, which was fine, which is, I think, where I picked up maybe 50 ticks or something, Gav. Here. Oh, it was just a nightmare. Something like that, yeah. Uh, so, so we were back then, maybe within 90 minutes, we were back at the van, and that was maybe five o'clock in the morning or something, five or six o'clock in the morning, and then realised I had all these ticks on. So um, you're trying to get a wee 20-minute sleep. Gav, very kindly, is trying to pick these ticks off my leg legs shove stuff in your mouth and and get on with things and get organized to get back out and i remember at that point like i've always been stressed about ticks because i know uh, they can carry lyme disease so um that did kind of stress me out for a while and i spent the rest of the time trying to pick them off while scream was stretching out his calves and stuff i was picking off ticks oh oh my god um yeah. and did any, did any of the ticks get any places we shouldn't talk about yeah we shouldn't talk about it okay cool. <laughs> so back to the smell um, so, support the were stretched to the limit too. <laughs> yeah. So, Gav, any regrets about joining the crew? Anyway, Graham. Um, so, so Graham, whilst all of this is going on, Gav's just described how he's seen you, and and effectively, in short order, what he's saying is he's he's basically seen a man physically decompose while still alive yet still have the mental fortitude to push himself to the finish. How does it feel hearing that? Um, well, actually, it's the second time I've heard it. But yeah, 
you can't help but feel kind of proud if we're allowed to feel proud nowadays. It's, it's proud of, pride of sin, I'm not sure. But yeah, I feel pretty proud. Um, my body did kind of start to break down. Um, but that was kind of the point, you know. I, I wanted to take myself right to the, the bottom of the hole and see who turned up. And, and, and it was kind of inevitable that <clears throat> all these things were, were probably going to happen at some point. Um, I think the first to go was my calf. Um, and then I, my stomach went, but it didn't cause me any problems. Um, <laughs> it was probably more everybody else. Um, and then my, my feet went as well. And there was a few other ailments, kind of numbness in different parts of my body. But but I, I kind of, I don't know, like I didn't feel as though I had an option to stop, um, regardless of what happened. Because one, I, I, think, I think this was probably mentally a wee bit easier for me. I probably had a wee bit more of a why, because it was my idea. I, I, I maybe had a wee bit more of a kind of mental and emotional investment in it. Um, so, so at, at no point, regardless what happened to my body, was was there any was stopping an option? But actually, do you know that that's maybe that's, that's maybe not totally a wee true, fib. is it? Yeah, uh, that's is maybe a wee fib. Yeah. What, what's your on microphone? The, you're rubbing your microphone in your top. Sorry, on the first the first night. So, and and this was something I wanted to experience by doing this. Um, the first night when we went for the first sleep, and when I woke up, um, my uh, a part of my brain presented another part of my brain with an unassailable fact, you cannot do this. We'd, we'd done the first day and we'd another three days left and I just, as soon as I opened my eyes, this thought was just right there in my brain and it was like a neon sign saying, you cannot do this. And I I instantaneously recognised that it was my brain was just trying to get me to stop. And, and a few years ago, I probably would have quit, but I, I've kind of got enough tools and enough self-awareness, I think, to recognise what was happening and deal with it. But it was a it was a real challenge. Like I had to really dig deep in the darkness of my brain to kind of push myself on to do it, even though I recognised what was happening. Um, but but yeah, again, and and that was just like getting a, a sore leg or, or or my stomach going or or ending up with bad feet. You know, it was just that was just something else that was inevitable. I think, and something else that that was one of the reasons I was there to experience that. You know, I've, I've never done that before or, or stuff like this before. And was that moment of doubt? That moment of reflection, the lowest point you had out there. Um, I, I, I don't think it was a low point because I, again, I kind of re- as I was experiencing that, I recognised it as an experience I had to go through. Um, I don't think it was a low point. No, um, it, it was just it, it was just a it was kind of a dark point. It was a difficult point. Um, it certainly wasn't low. No, there was there was loads more things that happened that were lower than that. Loads Such lower as, than g- that. G- give it, give us the one that comes to your mind immediately. Um, the the lowest point I think was probably when we discovered the falls of Glamash with no idea what they were. The the uh, the fact that they were coming, we had no idea where we were or what we were doing. That was a pretty low point. We had we'd run into the night. I think it was maybe. The second night, the third night, I don't know. At time has no meaning in Cape Raft Trail. And we, we kinda we, we had an okay section and we ran along a long road and Paul started to have a, a bit of a kind of psychological dip. Not mentally and emotionally, but actually his brain started to just it just turned to scrambled eggs. And pretty soon after that, probably about two or three after two or three miles after that, we started doing this climb in the pitch black and it was 
it was just, it just seemed insane. And like I remember Paul behind me and he, he kept saying like, this can't be right. Why are we doing this? What are we doing? Why is this here? And it never made sense, but it made sense to me how it never made sense to him because I was kind of starting to follow him down that hole. And uh, and it was just, we were like rock climbing along these cliffs and at the side of a waterfall and pitch black. And it just, it just, if we went and done it now, it'd be absolutely fine. If we'd done it tonight, it'd be fine. But during the, during the event, it just made no sense. And yeah, I think the both days were just totally frazzled at that point. I remember when doing the, the planning for Endeavour and reading the description of that section and saying, I'm not doing that section. <laughs> avoided that we had no idea it was coming when we were at, we only found about it postscript we hadn't we, see because it was kind of short notice we hadn't been through the route in that much detail that we knew it was coming we, we didn't even know what we had done when we got to the end of it but it turns the fall the falls of glamash it turns it they're a bit of a thing oh well <laughs> well and for you the same question to you as, as we just had with paul um there's obviously lows there's obviously highs and if you were closing your eyes just now and somebody said to you, just tell me your, you know, the point that makes you feel that it was all worth it. What was that? The, the moment that made you feel this is it? Because you'd the why. It's probably a strange one, but it was maybe the the toughest and worst section we had. But it was the point that I probably stopped caring we we went behind uh, our schedule, and I think we got to about two and a half hours or three hours behind the schedule, and and Paul just kind of broke me down to this kind of it doesn't really matter, it doesn't really matter, and at that point when I completely just gave away with the four days and 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 stopped kind of worrying about it, it that that was a kind of real high point because it actually I think that was probably some of the most fun we had when we kind of just stopped caring, we just stopped and ended up sleeping in a cliff at one point. Because we weren't even looking at our watch, just because it felt good. That that was pretty good. That's that's a really interesting thing. So you almost took the weight of your own internal expectation off yourself, and it freed you up to become happier and faster. Is that and, and that, and that is and it, you couldn't have put it any better. Actually, once that happened, and we just kind of started. Well, I I just kind of started reacting to what was happening rather than kind of looking at my watch all the time and try to do mental arithmetic. We actually, we started, without even knowing it really, we started to drag it back. Interesting. Um, so Gav, I'm imagining up to this point, because they've been through so much attrition and so much fatigue and all that stuff, they come to the, you know, they've got the physical deprivation, everything's going on, sleep deprived, all of that. And the, the, as the, the events wore on, they've gradually more and more became like Waldorf and Statler as a pair, <laughs> as they're coming into you. But you? then this happens and they've transformed to PJ and Duncan. Did, did you witness this transformation? Um, I think I can certainly recall when we, when Bob and I were waiting for him towards the end in Glen Finnan, and I know the stretch before that through Noida, it was a particularly long one for them, and I don't know if that was the point uh, on that stretch, Graham, where you had your epiphany, um, but yeah, I do remember them coming in there, and I don't know if it, if it was because like Alice and Kev had turned up and had gone to meet the guys, or there was two 18-inch uh, pizzas waiting for them in the van. I don't know what it was that made the difference, James. Um, Sometimes it isn't just one thing, Gav. You could add you and Bob to that list of delights. Well, that's yeah. very kind of you. But I would never put myself above carbohydrate and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is interesting because I wanted to get on to this point. Right? <clears throat> Four days. We've already talked about three days, 23 hours. In somewhere between forty-five and fifty minutes, right? Let's not let's not split hairs. We're talking about the length of a song here. 
um, over the breadth of a massive period of time, right? <clears throat> and it's like a photo finish. And in, 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 a, in our pile and endeavour history, we have specialised in just missing out. So it was really, really interesting to see us. See us. I'm part of the team now because I'm on this podcast. I was there. In fact, <laughs> I, get, I got you those 15 minutes. But to see you come in under. But I wanted to get a, a feel for how that journey went on. So if we just break it down in increments, you, you had a plan, but let's break it down into daily increments, right? So four days, dead easy. Day one. Where were we at the end of day one, Paul? You talked about the, maybe a sense of realisation about what was in front of you and maybe a bit of awe about that. Where were you to plan at the end of day one, Paul? Uh, it's funny you asked that, actually. Um, for the first maybe three days, Graham was the plan guy. He was a guy who was constantly looking at his watch, saying, we need to be there, or we're, we're an hour up, or we're two hours up, and we've lost 10 minutes then, kind of thing. I, I, Because it's such a long event, and maybe because I've done a few, I, I almost deliberately switched off for the first couple of days. And then, after Graham had his moment, kind of thing, it was then up to me to try and make sure we got in under time. Graham almost just gave up on that. He was like, right, okay, I'm okay. You just make sure that we're leaving that, we're leaving uh, Glenn Finnan at the right time. And actually... Graham's brain had totally gone by that point that he thought I was I was leaving it kind of late. So we decided when we got down to Glenfinnan, we're going to take 15 minutes, 20 minutes sleep before we went back out again. And I can't remember how long. We had two sections to do from Glenfinnan, effectively. So it was maybe, I don't know, Gav, maybe 25 miles or something in total. Or something. 25 miles in total. And I think it was like an 18-mile section and a seventeen and a seven-mile section right Aye, aye. So I, I, I kind of knew what time, it was me that was making the decision then to say, right, we're going to sleep for that time, we're going to get up and we need to be out the van and back on the road again by X time. So Graham was okay with that, he was thought, right, he obviously knows what he's doing, it's fine. So we get back out on that section and then we run the next section, I knew what we had to hit, so we were going to see the guys maybe seven miles out from the end and we knew then it was just going to be a road finish kind of thing. So I, I was pretty clear and I gave us a lot of time and I have to say, there's a big difference. Cape Wrath time is totally different from any other time. You know, like normally you would say, oh, seven miles, that's probably going to be worst case when you're slow. It's probably going to be an hour and 10 minutes, but it's just not. It's like two and a half hours sometimes or whatever. Um, so it was only through this second last section that at points we were having to push a wee bit that Graham finally clocked on. I can't remember what happened, Graham. Was it you just thought we were an hour ahead or an hour behind or something? But I'd, I'd built in enough time I knew if we can get to the guys with seven miles out, that we'd have enough time to get to the end, worst case. So, um, yeah, it was funny how that changed. The first few days, it was all Graham, and then the last day, or, or not even the last day, maybe the last 12 hours, I was kind of looking after the time. And, and it's interesting to hear how you describe that, Paul, because it starts off, sounds to me like, for three days, it's a bit of an adventure, with this kind of anchor point of four days, just as a reason to compel you to propel forward, for something for Gavin Bob as a crew to have, points where they might expect to be along the, the days and also you know how many days holidays to put and all of that and then you've started to drift off of that but then there's a kind of a, a drive to get back on and you've kind of taken over a wee bit because Graham's faculties are starting to get a wee bit woolly at this point and I guess the, the question I wanted to ask you Paul you're a very competitive runner you've won some of the the biggest races around you've ran in some of the biggest races you've competed in some of the you know the most stellar fields do you think your competitive edge kicked in at that point? And, and even just though it's an arbitrary time against that on an arbitrary trail for an arbitrary reason, it was enough to propel you forward and give you some energy? Yeah, I think it's it's partly to do with, with the investment that you put in. So by that point, you've put in three days of a fair amount of misery and suffering. 
you're like, well, I'm not coming back to do this. I'm not coming back to try and hit, hit four days again. So we're we're going to have to keep pushing to the end. And it wasn't so much a competitive thing. I I don't think it's partly you want to get it finished. So you want to be finished by that time. We said we're going to finish early morning on Saturday or whatever because the guys have given up four days of their time and I needed to get back and go and work and stuff like that. So you're kind of, by that point, maybe the first few days I'm a bit like, I'm on an adventure. Yeah, nothing really matters. Everything's cool. By that point, I'm like, right, I'm getting close to the weekend now. This is the time we've got to hit. So I don't I don't think it was me being super competitive, but I just thought we'd we'd put in a huge effort. Graham had put in a huge effort. I'd put in a huge effort. Gavin Bob had been out there the whole time. Fairly miserable circumstances. It wasn't like, I don't think the guys were super pressured in terms of time to get to a checkpoint. It's not like you, James, when you were running your recent FKT that, yeah. you know, we're hitting a certain time. There was there was times we were leaving them in the van and we know we, know we wouldn't see them for another 10 or 12 hours, probably. So um, it was more the pressure on them was to get to the place that we thought we were going to meet them and then they were trying to find some places in between to try and perk us up or or when we were getting there Gav and Bob were doing some amazing things at one point they'd produced two two bags of chips from nowhere this is in the middle of nowhere two bags of chips Gav said I've got some chips for you I was like what are you talking about Gav like, no, I've got some chips for you in the front two bags of chips come out amazing so uh, there was a there was a lot of focus on that side to keep us going so I don't think they were maybe so pressured in terms of getting there at a certain time because we were we were super slow it was Cape Wrath time everything was taking longer than we thought even at times I think Gav we were probably saying I oh, will see you in 8 hours the time we got there it was maybe 11 hours or something we'd been out you know, so. <clears throat> and, and you mentioned Cape Wrath time um, you've, both of you have mentioned that a couple of times and I can't help but I have this image like a David Lynch movie or something like that where there's just nothing of the modern world around you. Not even minutes, seconds, and hours apply. Um, is that what it was like? I think. I think probably the biggest town we saw, Gav, maybe was Kin Kinlochview or something, which has got a petrol station. And in fact, you you know that place, James. That's where you yeah. and Grant ran in, ran into. I think that was probably the biggest town we saw. Maybe. Yeah, that's right. I I I mean, I only done two sections in the Cape Wrath Trail. That was the first one Grant and I done. I think we ran from, or whatever it was, we done Moverick to Clooney, but we ran to Kinloch U after um, um, Chris Cowley. And I always remember Chris Cowley running down the trail saying, there is no trail in the Cape Wrath Trail. Um, yeah, which right. sounds like a rap song, but it sounds like you two have found that is very true for long, long stretches. Um, Graham, I want to pop over to you um, with this next question, right? You're, you're, a, you're a, an incredible human being, right? And I know you're probably embarrassed to hear that. Um, you are also really thoughtful and considerate and I'm making you squirm a wee bit and you also reflect quite deeply on your experiences what have you learnt about yourself as a result of all of this? <laughs> okay, how do you follow that? <laughs> I, well, I'd like to start by saying I completely agree with everything you just said there, James. <laughs> so, you used to, so you used to be big-headed, but you're perfect now, is that what you've yeah, learned? I, yeah, and I'm humble, I think you've yeah. you missed humble. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, I mean, I could have, when you asked the initial why question at the start, I could probably have done a whole podcast on that, but one of the things for me, um, I've had this this kind of suspicion about myself for a while as a as an ultra runner um and it all came through this kind of um egger potato theory which i'll not go into at the moment but i I just wanted to see if, if this suited me um better than the stuff that i had been doing 
Um, I've kind of I've talked about it before um, about being kind of on the hamster wheel of Scottish ultra marathons, and um, and kind of just running them to, to try and win a local race or get on a podium or something. And and and, and I'm pretty. Sh- I've got to a point I don't really know why. Um, and then after doing a few things I've, I've done with Paul, like going on over to Barclay and, and crewing him at UTMB and, and crewing him in Portugal as well, I, I kind of thought, like, do you know what? This, this probably feels a wee bit more like me. Um, I kind of see uh, ultra-endurance events as in, in kind of two kind of categories. You get the acute stuff and, and you get the chronic stuff. And I, I got a sneaking suspicion that the chronic stuff would maybe suit me a little bit better. And, and that's why I went and entered the spine. Um and and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this. So if if you would ask me if, if something I've learned about myself that I, I do actually think yeah the kind of longer more chronic endurance stuff it actually suits me better and it, it plays probably more to my skill set I think. Brilliant. So it's reinforced what you thought your identity as an ultra runner could could maybe. So that begs we'll the next question. So what are you going to do now that you've learned that about yourself, and what are you going to go after next? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because I have been thinking about this over the last few weeks. Because where do you go for doing the Cape Brass Trail? I mean, how do you find bigger and tougher and harder? Um, so, I, like I say, I've, I've got the spine um, lined up for January. Um, I think that should be a safe one. So I think that's going to be the next big challenge. Um, the, the Cape Brass Trail, that was one of the other reasons why it was about a kind of dress rehearsal for the spine. Um, but obviously you don't have the... 80 mile an hour winds and the, the minus six um, degrees to, to contend with. Um, so, yeah, the spine will be a step up and I think I think that'll be next and then we'll take it for there. I've still got a, I've still got a real, real itch to take part in one of the the backyard ultras. That, that's, oh, me yeah. too. Me oh, too. I, I know, I've, we've spoken about this before, yeah. haven't we? And uh, if, 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 if we hadn't just had the baby, I'd have been probably trying to get in uh, to the one that's going to happen in June in Suffolk. Um, but I think that'll be the following year after the spine. I think so. I've got a real itch to do that. Brilliant. So, I guess, Gav, actually a very similar question to you um, on this, right? Because you've you've been on PTL, and we asked we asked you what you learned and seen, and you'd learned and seen about the guys, um, and you know. You've been on PTL. You've seen Kate Brath. You've you've observed some stuff from Paul and Graham. You've learnt a bit about reinforcing some of your own um, characteristics from having seen how the guys broke down but kept going, um, particularly in your experience of PTL. But has it um, reignited or stoked the fires of your own ambitions? Has it made you want to do something similar? Um, <clears throat> I think the same as Graham James. After I came out of the PTL. It was it was quite a transformative experience for me as well, and that I realised like when you put so much into one of these events, I really felt that you get a lot back from it, um, and that probably sounds really strange to hear because they're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, but um, I did float when we were when we were up at Cape Wrath. I did float the idea of uh, positive post traumatic stress disorder to the guys, and they were. A bit used by it, but you know, it's a concept, um, and I think it appeals to me in in terms of it maybe hits my skill set a bit better than a shorter, sharper, more painful race, and I just feel I get more out of the experience. Um, so I, I'm actually in for Cape Wrath next year. I was supposed to be in this year, uh, well, I was supposed to be in last year, but that was pulled because of COVID. This year, 
is pulled because of a knee injury. Um, so I'm now I'm now down for the race next year. And that's over five set stages, isn't it? So it's eight stages. All so right. It's like eight days. Um, a fully, fully inclusive holiday, almost, James. Do you know? Just right. run a bit. Is it the marathon de sable in the northwest of Scotland? Is that basically pretty much? Pretty much. Right, okay. add, the, add the mud and ticks and stuff. Um, yeah, that's going to be it. So yeah, so I've got that in next year. All things going well, I'll be on the start line for that. Super stuff, super stuff. And having watched um, Paul and Graham, has it made you more excited for it, or helped you kind of visualise what the event might be like? Definitely a bit of both, James. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was great to get into a lot of these little places like, like Kimberhorn, um, is a big point on the on the trail, <clears throat> and and it's not the kind of place you would just go and visit because the road in is twenty odd miles and it takes you about an hour and a half to drive it. Um, so to get into these places and really get on the ground and get a real feel for the flavour of the trail was brilliant. It was a great, great experience. Um, super stuff, super stuff. Oh, that's good. I mean, they are, once again, crewing is given, but it also gives back to you in so many other ways, doesn't it? 100%. And, and Gav, um, you're the partner in crime. We talked about him uh, earlier. What was it like to have Bob on your tail, have Bob with you side by side? You know, I was actually just talking to Lorne about this the other day. <clears throat> um, it was a joy, honestly, James, and I'm not just saying that. Like to spend so much time in close proximity to somebody, you can't. You just get to know them. Do you know, like what's and all, get to know them. Um, and I got to know a lot of things about Bob that I didn't know before. Like everybody knows about Bob. Like, oh, he's run UTMB, and like, he's, you know, he's done like all these things. And he's done all that in spite of maybe the medical hand that he's been dealt not being the greatest. Um, but over the course of the time, I think maybe as Bob's inhibitions broke down, he started to give me an insight into like young Bob, um, which was quite interesting. <laughs> so, well, so we'll maybe make that the prequel story then, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So yeah, you know, uh, it was great, James. Honestly, just to, I can't really sum it up any better than that. He's a lovely man to spend time with. I, I, can, I can imagine wholeheartedly what that would be like. So um, we've been speaking now for the better part of 50 minutes and there's been some brilliant stuff here. Um, I guess for anyone listening, I don't think the stories here will have inspired you to want to go and run the Cape Wrath Trail because what I'm hearing is, is it's boggy, it's heather, there's no trail, it's miserable and all of that stuff. Yet we still do these things because actually it's taken us to the limits of our potential. It's taken us stretching us outside our comfort zones. It's not 5k around a lock. It's not a, a, a city marathon. There's something in that. And I guess, Paul, I'm not even sure if it's possible, but what what is it that attracts us to something that on one hand we recall with so much misery, but on the other hand we recall with so much joy and we want to go again and again? Can you put it in words? Is it possible? I don't know, James. I think there's something built into all humans around hardship and the struggle and without any kind of hardship and struggle and commitment to something, then we just don't get any great fulfillment out of life, I don't think. Um, and I think that's a huge benefit to people who choose to run ultras or to choose to, I don't know, ride bikes long distance or whatever it is. And there's something in certain humans in particular that this endurance element delivers this hardship that gives you that sense of satisfaction that 
I I I can't get it anywhere else, and uh, my life doesn't feel the same without having pushed myself and be out there on some kind of adventure. And when you when you get away from the planning, I say the planning as if I was involved in some big long extended planning process for this i wasn't it was basically right i'll pack my stuff the day before and we had we had obviously run the exposure race the weekend before so um as you know i was up all saturday night and then i had to work on sunday and then we left first thing on monday morning so i didn't have a big extended planning process but when you when you finally start one of these things that's that's the moment for me that you think right i'm doing the thing that i'm supposed to be doing now i'm out there we've left a lighthouse and you've got everything that you need to try and survive for this four days. Um, you know, we've got some friends there who are going to meet us at certain points and I've got the stuff on my back and a pair of running shoes on and we're going on this adventure and it's happening regardless. So I I think a lot of people struggle without without having something like that in their life. Um, so, yeah, I don't have a, a, a nice way to say it. James probably haven't thought it through, but, yeah, it, it, it means a great deal to a lot of people, I think. Yeah, Gav. I just wanted to pick up on what Paul said there, and I think as well as um, as well as that, to me, it's also the like the single mindedness of it. Um, there's so many things that distract me on a day to day basis, like jobs and phones and, and and everything that just takes up your time. So to be able to immerse yourself in something 100 percent for four days, and and the feeling of taking off all those things that you normally have to deal with on a day-to-day basis for me is is really really liberating yeah it sounds like the great emancipation so even though you're oh. stepping into you're stepping into attrition you're stepping into torrents maybe quite literally with some of the waterfalls and crossings you have to do you're also stepping out of yourself in many ways yeah, yeah. it's like this nice little bubble you know yeah and indeed so a couple more questions, and then we'll wrap it up. And this is one that I would love to get um, just a, a short sentence from all three of you, and we'll start with Graham on this. Single sentence, bit of advice you would give to someone, and bear in mind how big a stretch this was for you, who is stepping into something that should be so audacious, so scary, and so massive. What bit of advice would you give them? Do it. Absolutely do it. If, like Paul says earlier on, if you fail, you'll learn something. If you succeed, you'll you'll be completely happy and proud of yourself. Just do it. Pull the trigger. Gav, same question. When you think of those things that give you that anxious feeling in your stomach and make your brain go, no chance. Those are the things you should do. Oh, good. Paul? Yeah, I like that, Gav. Um I guess for me it's like uh, we can. This isn't a sentence now, James. Already, I know you can. I can see it in your eyes. Um, I, I I think when when something feels as big as that, and you get that feeling that Gav talks about, it's like it's easy to make or give yourself reasons not to do it. Oh, it's going to be too complicated. How are we going to get up there? What we're we going to do? And we had all those initial questions when we when Graham first floated it and we had the initial conversation. But you just need to break it down into steps. And when you break anything down into smaller chunks, you can you can do it. And I know it's a bit of a cliche in running terms, you know, and, and taking a bit of time and get to the next aid station and all that. But it's amazing what you can achieve if you if you don't get overwhelmed by the bigger the bigger target and all the work that has to be done to get there. You just take it take it a moment at a time. Um, and I think we kind of proved that that's you can 
well, I'm always reassured when we do these things, particularly because I've got such good people around me that the minute in the past that I can float an idea past somebody and you've got those good people around you who say, yeah, okay, let's do it. Then that's when magic happens. That's when, when really cool stuff happens when you've got that support network around you as well. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Ah, brilliant. So, Graeme, would you do it again knowing what you know now? Um, I actually had a thought in my head and I built a fence around it um, that I absolutely would not do it again. However, a few weeks on and the edges have been rounded and I'm sitting thinking, well, you could do that supporting, you could run with people. But I do remember thinking towards the end and, and, and just after as well, thinking, no, I've done that, I've ticked that box, there's no point going back. And I, and I knew I would get to this point and I thought, okay, oh, it's okay. Kind of like a woman four weeks after labour, you know, oh, it's well worth it. And, you know, I remember what labour was like two weeks ago for Claire and now she's forgot about it. And Kate Brass very similar. Yeah. Just probably a wee bit more painful and tougher. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul, is your, um, is your Kate Brass map on eBay for sale? Eh, no, no, I wouldn't do that, I don't think. I, um, I, I wouldn't be desperate to go back, but it's funny. The first time Graham and I were on Cape Wrath and we ran from the lighthouse on the first section uh, on Endeavour, uh, we stopped at the cliff tops just to have a look over. It was amazing and, you know, we're already trying to move and we've got lots of people waiting for us down there to hand over the baton and all that stuff and it was the start of the event. But we stopped there and, and we ran onto the beach and then Graham said something like, oh, it's a shame I'll never be back here in my life. And I remember at the time, and we had this conversation about this after it, I was like, why would you not be back here, Graham? You know, it's like, you never know what you're going to do. You might do the race or you might end up doing it yourself or something. And that was the end of it. And then we remembered that when we were out there to say, well, never say never. Um, you might find yourself back there at some point. That is a beautiful note on which to finish. So, Gavin, thank you for joining us. Pleasure, thank you. Graeme, it's brilliant to have you. I can't, I can't believe I made the cut. I'm on the pile on Ultrapod. It's, it's, it's not been edited yet, Graham. <laughs> My mum's going to be so proud. <laughs> and, and Paul, I hope you enjoyed being on the other side of a lot of the questions tonight. Um, it was fantastic to listen to you. Thank you, James. Thanks for doing it. really appreciate it. So there you go. So for anyone listening, let's recap. Paul Giblin and Graham Connolly, ably supported by Gav Bussey and Bob Allison, um, completed the Cape Wrath Trail um, and the fastest time done by a pair um, in under four days, 23 hours, sorry, three days, 23 hours and 45 to 50 minutes. We'll contest that again. <laughs> it's 45. As you've heard, it's 45. And as you've heard from the conversation, this was no mean feat. This wasn't just an easy out and go. Yeah, it was done impulsively, but actually from a seed planted, as Paul just finished with his story there, a seed planted 18 months to two years ago. And sometimes those seeds that you might even get when you listen to the Pile and Ultrapod or any other podcasts out there that have been planted on days like today can lead to some amazing futures. So never ever close your mind to what those opportunities are and never ever be scared to take a step into the unknown because that's what it's all about. Thank you. <laughs>